Welcome to the 100th episode of Axe of the Blood God, U.S. Gamers' official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cap Bailey. With me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. We made it. Woo! I can't believe it. I mean, I don't think I've ever actually made it to 100 episodes before, and I've had two other podcasts before. They were always being canceled or something or whatever, like the, the in the case of Role Players Realm, the publication actually folded and went out of business before I could get to episode 100. So this is like a personal milestone for me. Yeah, congratulations. And I'm glad I get to be part of it. This is very exciting. I know. It's it's actually been a real pleasure adding you. Um, so if, uh, if you've joined us just recently, like this podcast has been going on for about two years now. Mm-hmm. Um, We've been recording pretty regularly, like pretty much every Friday yeah. uh, for those two years with like relatively little interruption. Um, I had I I had originally envisioned it as kind of like this, you know, a rotating cast of guests where I could talk about a variety of subjects. And then like Nadia just kind of started becoming a regular and the next thing I knew she was my co-host. <laughs> I started talking and I haven't shut up. Well, uh, it's definitely resulted in us skewing a lot more uh, JRPG than I had originally intended, but I don't know that that's altogether bad because I think whenever we talk JRPGs, like like we get more people than um, than we do when we talk about the other sides. Yeah, I guess there's just that demand, which is, which is very nice. Um, yeah, I'm glad that people are here because I like to talk RPGs, JRPGs in particular. You like to talk JRPGs. Uh, everyone wins. Yeah. yeah, we usually lose about two thousand downloads or so when uh, <laughs> when we like talk about something other than JRPGs. Ew, so, Western RPGs. Oh, I'm gonna plug my nose and just put this in the garbage can. The Mass Effect Andromeda one did okay, but well, that's Mass Effect. All things considered, but yeah, it's been kind of a learning process and trying to figure out how everything was working and in the meantime i, I kind of took the site took over the site and uh, you know we're, we're thinking of ways that we can kind of expand the kind of expand acts of the blood god or, or find a way to kind of raise its profile still further like mm-hmm. I, I think certainly the blood god needs more acolytes i, I think that there are a lot of people who who want to know about this podcast, but do not. So we need to spread the gospel, Nadia. So what we'll do is we'll print up some tracts, like uh, Jack Chick tracts, and go door to door. <laughs> Have you heard the good news about the Blood God? You devote yourself to the Blood God, and you will die last. I think that um, I think that would go over extremely well where I live. <laughs> I don't think it, it would extremely go over. <laughs> well. I don't think it would at all. Like I think a lot of people would slam doors in my face, but that's okay. Yeah, I don't I'd know what they're missing. Get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, for this 100th episode of Acts of the Blood God, we are going to talk about why we love RPGs, which is, oddly enough, a topic I don't think I've ever really covered before. Like, mm-hmm. maybe we've kind of talked about it obliquely, but I-, I sort of feel like it's the other side of the coin of what makes an RPG. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like... I think everybody kind of goes to an RPG for different reasons. And I think your reasons for loving an RPG ties in deeply to an RPG origin story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in that regard, I think it is a topic worth discussing. I really do. And I have many things to say about this topic. So uh, this is a good topic. Excellent. Yeah, I will have Katie come on a little bit later because I'm sure she she's going to have a different perspective just because... Mm-hmm. Um, 
she came into RPGs, I don't know, like maybe a little later than we did. So <laughs> so I'm sure that she like can relate to certain things and like she has different tastes. So I am interested to hear them. Uh, first things first, though, um, one little piece of news, uh, Dragon Quest XI coming out in J- July in Japan. How excited are you, Nadia? From a 1 to 10, I assume that you're a 12. Uh, approximately 12, maybe a 13 or a 14. Uh, it's actually kind of a timely bit of news because uh, I'll get into it more later, but Dragon Quest is a major reason why I got into RPGs and why I love them. So more Dragon Quest for, for me, all for me, none for anyone else, just me. The Switch version is MIA at the moment, though. Yeah, um, I, I'm not too worried about that. I'm sure it's it's on its way, especially since, uh, by all accounts, the Switch is selling like gangbusters over in Japan, which makes me quite happy. But not as fast as the Wii U. Really? The Wii U sold well over there? Oh, yeah. I mean, it sold well initially, you know, mm-hmm. like, because it's a Nintendo platform. And I, I sort of feel like, um, I don't know. But in any case, it, the Wii U didn't do super well. But the Switch, like, I think it sold briskly at the start. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, this source of information is from a an analyst that who like primarily specializes in uh, like Eastern like kind of games. Like yeah, I think I know who you're thing. talking about. Yeah, um, his name escapes me. Is it Dennis something? Um, no. But yeah, I know who you're referring to. So uh, yeah, I guess I'm interested to see where things go, but I'm I'm not yeah. too worried. He was like, the Switch is selling extremely well, but not as fat well as the Wii U did at launch. This is a very different market. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. But, so yeah, you know, I think I'm going to wait until the Switch version comes around. Yeah, I definitely want to see where they're going with the Switch version. But given how it does take a while for Dragon Quest games to get localized to begin with, uh, mm-hmm. we probably have a wait in front of us anyway. Oh, we might, you know, like, and that's actually kind of a drag, all things considered, um, because I would really like to play Dragon Quest Eleven now. Yeah, it's it looks really good. Um, I'm, I'm I thought I spotted in the trailer that the uh, the fellow the hero had like the Zenithian sword, which is interesting because in a fa- in a former trailer he had a Lotos sword. So that I'm curious. does not mean anything to me. Could you explain <laughs> that? What exactly that means to me? I'd be happy to. Um, Loto, of course, you know who Loto is, right? Vaguely, he's um, he's the hero from the what, Dragon Quest one, two, and three, or at least the hero who's referred right. to in legend. And you. Okay. Um, in the first game in particular, you uh, use his armor and his sword to beat the Dragon Lord. Uh, in Dragon Quest 4, 5, and 6, that's the Zenithian trilogy, and that has the Zenithian sword in it. So I see. Okay, so you think that this might end up tying into both of them? Somehow, yeah. Um, that'd be very interesting, because once you get beyond Dragon Quest 4, the Dragon Quest games do not connect to each other in, in very significant ways, except in no. very, very small ways, like... Uh, I don't know how far you got in Dragon Quest Eight, but the the God Bird in that game is uh is uh, referenced in Dragon Quest Three as well. I've always thought of them as you know kind of discrete adventures, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I know that there's a bit of an arc going on with the first three games, but I've always thought of them as kind of like their own things, right? Their yeah, you can stories. still you can still very much enjoy them as their own separate things. Although Dragon Quest Three in particular, if you are familiar with the saga of Loto, it's the twist at the end is a lot of fun, but they they can most definitely be taken as uh, individual adventures. That's the nice thing about Dragon Quest. Yes, it is. So, uh, any other tidbits that you've kind of gotten from watching the uh, the trailers and such? 
Well, apparently you can ride on a dragon. Uh, I'm always down with riding on a dragon. Yeah, and so is that kind of like your way of exploring the overworld? I'm not sure. Uh, you see it very briefly in the overworld, in the uh, footage, but you do also see, like, the hero traveling on horseback quite prominently, so... I'm okay with that too. It's, you, um, Zelda gave me a real taste for horseback riding, <laughs> so and I'm not going to do much horseback riding in the city. So I got to get through my video games. I actually am still a little shocked that they're even making a PlayStation Four version. Are you really? Given, well, I mean, it's just not that prominent a series in the West. I mean, it's around, but <clears throat> I sort of feel like like the aesthetic just doesn't seem to appeal to people, and. Like, the PlayStation 4 has certainly done better in recent years over in Japan. Mm-hmm. But the 3DS is king. Let's be yeah. honest here. Yeah. And that is going to be the version that sells. Yeah, like, I think People so. are going to be buying that one like crazy. So it almost feel, strikes me as strange that they opted to go with a PS4 version because that would strike me as a move as of being like, well, we want to appeal to the West. Um, yeah, and the even crazier thing is that like the the styles are very different between them. So like it's there's a not insignificant amount of work that goes into them. I'm like I'm like watching the trailer right now, and it's just like very different, right? Yeah, and it's actually also unprecedented. But uh, I think Square Enix is coming out with a package that sells both versions of the game, the 3DS and the PlayStation 4, and uh, apparently like that kind of cross-platform pollination promotion is not something that happens very often. I mean, that's just, I mean, the last time I can think of really seeing something similar to this is like Ninokuni. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's Interestingly true. enough, the 3DS Ninokuni was a bomb. Like, oh, in Japan. Rip, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny. Like, I think that's why they made those books pre order items in America. <laughs> they needed <laughs> to get rid of the excess stock. It's taking up room. Get it out of Even here. Even though you didn't need them as PS4, because they use the books as copy protection in Japan because they right. were having so much trouble with piracy. Oh, those old-fashioned uh, feelies that were used as copy protection in the day. Uh, flashback uh, to Master of Orion. But man, I'm watching the the feelies. But man, <laughs> I'm watching this PS4 trailer, and it's so good. Isn't it gorgeous? Yeah. Oh my God, it's really pretty. So I don't know. It's going to be a hard choice in like three years. Um, I'm gonna go for both. I'll I'll just put that out there. I don't think the I don't think the 3DS one's coming out here. No. Nah. Uh, I mean the 3DS Nino Kuni didn't come out here. And, True. Or was that DS? No, that was DS Nino Kuni. My God. And that you know Nino Kuni came out in a similar period of the DS's life cycle as 3DS mm-hmm. uh, as DQ11's coming out in the 3DS life cycle. So I would well, actually be kind of surprised. Square Enix said that they're they're going to be a lot more dedicated to supporting Western Dragon Quest fans, so I really do hope that the, the 3DS version comes out. I don't. I mean, if it, even it comes out, like I just don't see myself really playing it. Like I, I see myself picking one or the other. Um, I suppose the super hardcore fans would would pick up the 3DS version. I have to admit, uh, when if we get we hear about the Switch version, um, I'm probably going to wind up getting that because it is really the best of both worlds. I would assume. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think I would definitely get, I mean, the Switch one would be the one that I would get just yeah. because the portability would be super nice. Like uh, in the time, in the month or so that I've had my Switch, I've almost, like I said in, in a previous episode, like I've almost never been playing it on my uh, on my, on my TV. Like it's mm-hmm. just almost always been in my hand. 
Yeah, um, I, I've really varied between the two. Uh, the only thing I'd be worried about is that, uh, like, Dragon Quest Heroes 1 and 2, uh, Dragon Quest Heroes in particular for the Switch, had its its, uh, its visuals downgraded quite a bit for the, the Switch version. And that could just be because the Switch doesn't have the processing power to really project all those enemies sure. uh, at once uh, and make them look really fantastic. I, I, I doubt it's, like, a huge deal gameplay-wise, but... Um, yeah, it's just I'm curious to see if Dragon Quest uh, Eleven if uh, there is a, a downscaling going on for the Switch. I hope not. I mean, sometimes when there is downscaling, like people pointed out for uh, what's that new Snake game, uh, Snake Pass? Mm. Yeah, like yeah. There, there was some downgrading, but it was like it really wasn't that noticeable. That sort of thing I can deal with, like a little bit less draw distance, etc. But really, mm-hmm. kind of if it if it looks bad, it's, it, then I'm just going to be like uh, I'm going with the PlayStation Four. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess we'll see, right? Um, yeah. It could be just a matter of optimizing new hardware. That's what I figure, yeah. Yeah, and, like, I actually... The Dragon Quest guys, I don't think, get enough credit for, like, how beautiful their games tend to be. So, uh, I, if anybody, like, could put out a really quality Switch port, I think it would be them. Yeah, um, Dragon Quest Eight for the 3DS. I mean, Dragon Quest Eight for the PS2 is still a fantastic-looking game, and it still does some pretty amazing things, and they translated that very well to the 3DS. Indeed. Not so, perfectly, but pretty great. Pretty great, indeed. So um, I guess what we're going to just have to do is uh, import DQ11 when it comes out, or DQ, yeah, DQ11 when it comes out and make you play it. Yeah, and I'll I'll totally not blunder by like a, a lost person because I understand like nothing in Japanese except for the word neko. <laughs> I mean, hmm, yeah, that could be trouble. Can you actually read the text? No. Oh, irony. <laughs> I can't even begin to try. Yeah. Oh well. Better get on that, Nadia. You have a lot of Japanese to learn in the next uh, couple months. I hear it's easy. I came into RPGs a little bit late. When? What was your first like tra- your transitional game, as it were? I mean, technically, the first RPG I ever played was I think um, I think I've said this before. Dragon, uh, Final Fantasy Legend. Final? Oh, oh, right for the Game Boy, yeah. And I wasn't even like really aware of it being an RPG. It was just this game that I could play on my Game Boy, and like I wasn't even thinking of it in terms of numbers and everything. I just. I had this weird party and I was climbing to the top of a tower. I remember that it had really good music and kind of an affecting story. Like it, you found different worlds on each floor and that kind of thing. Yeah, I remember that game. And then I fought God. Yeah, like <laughs> that's right. Like you do. And a- I had this really powerful sword and I was doing a lot of damage, but apparently I wasn't doing enough damage because I could not beat God. God well, always beat he- me. He is God. There's actually a comedian. I, I wish I could remember her name, but uh, she actually did a, a routine about the the boss of Final Fantasy Legend back before anyone even knew what the hell geek culture was. And she said that um, basically video games skewed her her view of religion because, as she put it, God was a tiny Amish man on the Game Boy screen. <laughs> and he was. So the depictions of God in a video game skewed somebody's views of what they considered to be an actual, like, divine being. Apparently. Uh, and that's that's actually really interesting. I mean, hmm. when I was a kid, it was all about Aslan. <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime, in RPGs, I was killing God on a regular basis. <laughs> Take that, God. 
tell me not to eat bacon, will you? So, yeah, no. So I, I played Final Fantasy Legend without even really thinking about it. But I was kind of, at that time, kind of allergic to turn-based games. Um, I was kind of allergic to anything, like, tactical. Like, it seemed maybe a little too overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a consequence, like, I, th- I think I was like a lot of Americans. Um, because, you know, we kind of... We all kind of grew up on the NES, right? Right. Um, we all, uh, at least certainly our people our age, right? Yeah. Like maybe people a bit older than us, um, maybe they grew up on the computers, PC back in the 80s, and we're playing right. dungeon crawlers and that kind of thing. Yeah, but for my case, like I was used to, you know, the Marios and the such. So it these, RP, these RPGs struck me as like super hardcore kind of like genre, like the Final Fantasy and the Dragon Quest Um I remember my cousins had a copy of Dragon Warrior. I think it was the NES copy, probably. Everyone had it. <laughs> the Nintendo Power copy. Yeah, Nintendo couldn't get rid of it fast enough. And I, I wanted to play it, but it was so primitive um, and so like impenetrable that like I didn't get that far at all. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. yeah, it's actually interesting that you mentioned just how uh, like it, how primitive the game is because. Uh, my opinion of Final Fantasy was colored very, very strongly by the first game because what happened to me was I played the original Dragon Warrior. I loved it because I loved how it told a story, even though it was like a really lame story when you look back on it. Uh, so I naturally progressed to Dragon Quest Three, which was just incredible. It's still a fantastic RPG in this day and age. And then I went backwards. I went to Final Fantasy. I happened to pick that up as a rental. And number one, my battery was screwed up, so I kept losing my progress. Uh... Number two, I was just, like, really put off by how slow it was compared to Dragon Quest Three and how, like, awful the, the sound effects were, and uh, the translation was horrible, there were bugs everywhere, nothing really made sense, so for a very long time, I was like, I am not playing a Final Fantasy game, and, <laughs> of course, there was, um, uh, there wasn't much in the way of Dragon Quest that came west, like, during the SNES era, so I went for quite a while without... Any sort of RPG uh, input. What what actually changed my mind was um, Secret of Mana. Uh, I was friends with, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him. People in Toronto will be Christopher Butcher. Nope. Uh, yeah, he, he's based, uh, he's basically who, um, uh, that, who's the gay character from from Scott Pilgrim? Uh, shoot, I, I forget his name, but he, Wallace he, he, Wells. Wallace. He's who Wallace Wells is based on. He runs like oh. this. He runs this, ma- this uh, major uh, comic book shop in Toronto called The Beguiling. Um, he, I was friends with him for a long time, and he said, you know what, you should really play Secret of Mana. And I said, oh, okay, I'll give it a try. And I, and I loved it. And then I played Final Fantasy VI, and I went bananas. And from then on, it's been just one way. One you know, I was always, you know, like, think about it. I actually always was kind of aware of these games, uh, probably because of Nintendo Power was always trying to kind of push them. Mm-hmm. Like... Um, I owned the Nintendo Power with the Secret of Mana cover. That was a weird cover. <laughs> yeah, it was like the horse or something on the cover. Yeah, someone on, someone in a Japanese Twitter account recently like said, "What the hell is this?" in, in Japanese, like comparing regular Flammy to that thing. So that was yeah, whatever funny. it was. Um, I don't think they had great artists at times, no. but uh, I. But, you know, I read the the Secret of Mana stuff because I read everything about the Super Nintendo at the time because I did right, not have a Super Nintendo, but I desperately wanted a Super Nintendo. Ah. And, and um, I, like, was, you know, really struck by the artwork at the time and, like, how beautiful the game looked. And I, yeah. you know, if you had handed it to me, I would have played it in a hot second and would have, like, probably adored it and played mm-hmm. it 
you know, cover to cover, but all I had to go on were kind of the very basic early walkthrough and then like screenshots of what was to come mm-hmm. and the giant tree. The giant tree who was mom. Yes. That's still, uh, that still kind of befuddles me, but anyway. Yeah. And then, you know, of course, Final Fantasy VI was highlighted in Nintendo Power. And it yeah, like I have that one. referred to like this insanely long ending. And I'm like, oh, I can't believe how long that ending is. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is like an epic movie kind of thing. Like only the most the hardest of hardcore gamers would ever play this game. Yeah, I used to play it and like my family would watch me play it. would be like, God, these people never shut up, do they? <laughs> I got that just recently, actually. <laughs> That's right. Like Persona you did. 5. Yeah. God, these people never never shut up. (laughs) But I, so yeah, RPGs were not a thing that I was really kind of playing. But it was funny because at that time, you know, in the early '90s on the PC and that's and that kind of thing, uh, RPGs very much were a thing. Like Mm -hmm. if you're a PC gamer, um, you were playing stuff like The Bard's Tale. You were playing stuff like Ultima. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were playing like these kind of classical RPGs that like very much dominated uh, gaming from a very early period. So there was a giant divide. There was. I feel like in PC and console gaming at that time. Yes, especially since console uh, RPGs were specifically engineered to be like wizardry, etc. Except like uh, more streamlined and easier to grok. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and then, of course, within a few years after that, by like, you know, 90, 95, 96, uh, Diablo came around mm-hmm. and they were having their like huge kind of holy war over turn based <laughs> versus yes. uh, kind of clicking through like they're going, this is not an RPG. What the heck is this thing? And so that that became very much its own thing. And, and of course, we had like Black Isle Studios like appearing and we were starting to get stuff like Fallout and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bethesda came around in the 90s. BioWare came around in the 90s. Uh, so it was really kind of a golden era for RPGs on the PC if you were kind of paying attention to that. Yeah, and to be fair, I wasn't very much. Uh, the only computer RPGs I actually played were uh, we had like this broken down Commodore 64. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had some sort of RPG on it by Epics. And it was like some real net, net, net hack stuff going on. It was just, it was really difficult. It was really in-depth. And I just kind of fooled around with it when I had nothing better to do. Mm. I was really into Dragon Quest at that time. And I was like, I'm too stupid to understand this. <laughs> I was aware of games like Baldur's Gate. Yeah. I was definitely aware of Diablo because I played Blizzard games pretty religiously at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and a friend of mine had a copy of Fallout and showed me the opening cutscene. Mm-hmm. Where they were doing the the kind of the cutesy 1950s like yeah. uh, educational video, um, and I just remember that there was a a scene of the um, the Pip Boy. Um, no, what's his name? Is he the the boy? Like the uh, Fallout Vault, Boy? He's Vault Boy. Vault Boy. Sorry, yeah. I get the Vault Boy's too. eyes like burning out. <laughs> he's like, don't stare into the cloud. Don't stare into the mushroom cloud or whatever, and it just shows his eyes going. Yeah. That was an that was an indelible image that was burned into my mind, but I can't imagine why. I, I wasn't really until kind of I don't, I don't know like Kotor was kind of an inflection point where mm-hmm. I feel like these these two cultures started to come together in a way. Um, yeah, be, where Japanese RPGs were designed to, were kind of defining what 
how like console people were experiencing RPG, experiencing RPGs and Western RPGs or PC people were playing their own like totally different style like that yeah. went back a long way. So, and then of course the Xbox finally came around and kind of united things a little bit, and that began us down the path to where we are now. Yeah, it's very interesting how like the West and the East have like kind of just grabbed ideas off each other and been using them back and forth for so long. Mm-hmm. Even um, though we, ha- we haven't realized it so much. So when Final Fantasy VII was like, I think it was out in Japan. Mm-hmm. I strongly remember being at a friend's house, and he had like a Pentium thirty-three. Nice Pentium one thirty-three. Oh, yeah, so Pentium one thirty-three, hot rod. <laughs> and he was downloading videos of Final Fantasy VII and Ocarina of Time. Oh, good times. Like back when you would actually just like literally download these like short quick time clips. Yeah, the quick time take, like, like 200 by 200. Yeah, but you know, you could actually see what Final Fantasy VII looked like. Yeah, I remember that. And uh, And I was like, oh, wow, like look at this game like it's like so pretty and everything and of course the final fantasy 7 demo disc was getting around and the playstation was becoming more and more of a thing but i was of course like hardcore nintendo 64 like same yeah only nintendo 64 what is this playstation garbage like i'm not gonna play this thing i was very sore at square enix for abandoning nintendo <laughs> that was a big deal like it even reached me and even though i didn't really care about rpgs or oh yeah know it was much. a huge deal Oh, I played Super Mario RPG. Like, I forgot that was a totally a thing that I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did that before Final Fantasy VI and VII. Hmm. Really? Yeah, it just occurred to me. Like, I, I was, I stayed up one night and played Super Mario RPG with a friend during a sleepover. Oh, that's really, that's really interesting. Like, how did it, like, flavor your perception of Final Fantasy VI? I don't think it did. Like, Very I different. was just, like, I barely remember, like, how I was feeling about it. Like, I remember thinking that it was funny. It was like, a funny little RPG. I remember thinking that it was kind of building out the Mario lore in a way that I found pretty amusing. So mm-hmm. I was just like, um, it very much like so, but I didn't really think of it in terms of like a Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest, right? Like, right. It, it, it was very much its own thing. Yeah. Oh, that's really neat. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was the, it was basically the last square, the last, uh, partnership uh, between Square and uh, Nintendo and I always kind of associate the uh, the game with resentment as a, as a result. <laughs> Look at this. Resentment. This happy, happy game seething with resentment. Why resentment? Just like, uh, I don't know at, by that point, by the time the game came out, I knew how bad things were between Square and Nintendo. Mm. And so I just kind of, I don't know, it just kind of left a shadow on my experience because I knew I probably wouldn't be playing another Square game for a long time, and I was right. But because I was watching these videos um, on Final Fantasy VII, like, I was aware of it, right? Mm-hmm. I became quickly became aware that not only was it, like a, big, like, a big deal, but that, like, it was the biggest thing on the PlayStation. Like, when it came out, like, all of a sudden, like, everybody was talking about it. Like, yeah. it was the game you had to own if you owned a PlayStation. I remember even like people who didn't have a PlayStation. I remember a friend of mine who didn't play games was telling me how much like the the commercial was making her cry because you had that scene with Cloud putting Eris in the in the water. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I was totally spoiled. Like thanks like, TV. I, I found out even before like who I knew Eris before I even knew who Eris was. I was finding out that she was dead. 
Yeah. And that she died. And that was a huge, that was a huge like plot twist. And what a shock, right? Yeah. Like in a video game, a character's dying and people are saying, (laughs) damn, and what the hell? And I was like, kind of, I was a little bit irritated with people who are like, oh my God, what a twist. Eris dies. And I'm like, uh, General Leo died before her. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you were one of those Final Fantasy VI elitists. Oh God, yes. Oh yes. Oh my God. We probably argued on like, uh, I almost guarantee that we (laughs) argued on some uh, forum somewhere. God, I'm trying to remember the forum. When I first got the internet, the first place I visited was um, the unofficial Square Enix homepage, I think run by uh, uh, Andrew. He's still around. Shoot, I'm, I'm sorry if he listens to this because I forgot his last name, but uh, he's still around. But yeah, that was like the unofficial Squaresoft homepage. The, the first, No, the first places I argued about video games was my school's BBS. Yeah, I think you said that. Yeah. If you um if you look around the internet, you may find a very old um review I wrote of like Final Fantasy VII like back in the day. Oh where really? I, that was essentially one long like defense of Final Fantasy VII against Final Fantasy Fantasy six four through six elitists. Why the hell did you do that? Um, because I was like Team Final Fantasy VII all the way, and <laughs> I was convinced that it was the greatest game that I had ever played at that oh, point. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I was in high school, and I don't think that you can overstate how much, how formative Final Fantasy VII was for Mm -hmm. a generation of gamers, Mm -hmm. like, because for a lot of people who owned a PlayStation and were, like, you know, in the middle school to kind of high school range at that time, like, it was legitimately mind-blowing, and you can't, I can't overstate, like, like the graphics, mm-hmm. how like advanced the storytelling seemed, uh, how vast the world seemed. Like it was an entirely new world, and like anime was like becoming kind of like becoming a thing at that time. Like it was like a really key inflection point for a lot of people. It and, was, and that's that's a lot of why it became like it why it kind of opened the door for JRPGs here in the West. And not only that, but like. It was so much more technically advanced than like practically anything I'd seen at that point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there were probably PC games that looked better, but on console, oh yeah, absolutely, but not on console. Oh, oh my gosh, like the the cutscenes, the 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 summons, the 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 basically everything, and you didn't even notice. Like you know, you you we made fun of the Cupid doll characters in 1997, <laughs> but. But it was endearing, right? Like, it was yeah. okay. Like, because yeah. everything else was so amazing. Like, the way that it would uh, have the cutscenes come together into the actual, like, gameplay and that kind of thing. Yeah, and it's actually, uh, it's funny that you say, well, I was in high school because that kind of says it all. I think a lot of us mm-hmm. were at that age where, where characters like Sephiroth really resonated with us. Yes, uh, exactly. Unfortunately. Uh, I have a very good friend who who's still embarrassed because she used to write poetry about Sephiroth mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And she's a fantastic artist and she wrote, she drew a picture of Sephiroth for Game Fan. And they actually published it and they said, wow, this is a great picture of Alucard. <laughs> and I, I actually found out about this picture when, um, on, on via the Talking Time forum, someone was making fun of Game Fan and said, hey, look what this idiot said about this picture of Sephiroth. And I'm like, hey, I know that person. Are you serious? <laughs> I'm serious. That was the greatest. And they, and they misspelled her last name. Because I was oh like, my God, I, don't, I'm, I, I was like, I don't know if this is her, but I'm going to ask her because uh, they misspelled her name, but uh, I'm going to ask her. And she's like, oh, yeah, that was me. <laughs> And she was so, like, elated and pissed off because she was finally published, but they got everything wrong. Mm-hmm. So, oh, game fan. But, 
Yeah, so like JRPGs were like the king, you mm-hmm. know, 1998, 99, the, like those kinds of years. Like Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy VIII, like launched opposite of the Dreamcast. Like it was the PlayStation's big counters to that game. Oh yeah, that's right. It like was the most AAA of AAA kind of games that you could get on console at that time. Like there was this giant like rush to get all of these JRPGs out into the Western market. Uh, you had people like uh, Vic Ireland, um, like starting to thrive. Like Lunar mm-hmm. was coming around. Yes, like I for that. me, it was a whole new world. Like it was incredible. Like I was like discovering these super advanced and like really mature stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you look back on them now, but uh, you know what? Reading uh, Parrish's dissection of Final Fantasy VII story. Mm-hmm. Uh, on our site, uh, which you should go check out. You uh, should because link to the past right now. I think the the main problem with uh, with Final Fantasy VII's story was not that it was bad; it was it was great. Just it had a terrible translation, and I feel like that was a missed opportunity because yes, there's this whole thing about like self identity, and it's just very sometimes you just go back and replay the story, and it's it's quite touching in parts. Mm-hmm. But I suppose like. Getting to kind of the main topic rather than just doing a recap of RPG history, um, I suppose what jumped out at me once I finally got into RPGs was at that time the story. Yes, absolutely. Me too. Like the kind of emotional moments of Final Fantasy VI when you're when you have the opera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, my, my mom still tries to get me to replay the opera for her once in a while. The fact that there was a story, which was yes. not something that I had really experienced outside of like i like outside of the pc to be perfectly honest like i was playing you know pc games at that time like tie fighter and that kind of thing that Mm -hmm. definitely had actually very good stories um but they didn't even but like it felt like rpgs really put the emphasis on the story they really did and um as someone who has always been a writer like uh, gosh i remember one of my earliest memories is you're gonna laugh but was writing Archie fan fiction because uh-huh, yeah. I learned how to read through Archie comics, so I, I wrote fan fiction. But mm. just being able to interact with a story like that and having it told to me as I played it was was really stunning. And even when I look back at some of these old games like like Final Fantasy VI, I can really appreciate how certain themes are actually handled very well. Mm. Yeah. No. Um. Actually, I've always kind of admired like just how. Final Fantasy VII, like, really was kind of ambitious in the mm-hmm. way that, like, it was trying to go kind of full av- Evangelion in the way that it explored <laughs> oh, yeah. the the kind of the nature of the hero and everything and, like, introducing him as the, the super hardcore, like, awesome warrior, but actually just kind of, like, stripping him down until mm-hmm. the point where you discover that it's all basically a lie. Like, yeah. Like, looking back on that, it's, like, actually pretty smart uh, a lot of that got lost like yes i remember everybody thinking like final fantasy 7 was this like crazy obtuse story that like you couldn't really like parse but there's a lot of deep stuff going on it <laughs> as i said i really think the translation is to blame for some of that because when i replay it now i, I can more or less get what's going on except when people say mm. something completely nonsensical in which case i just ignore it and try my best also rpgs always had the best music oh yes yeah, like I, like I discovered an entirely new frontier of Square music, mm-hmm. and you know I was a Square addict in the '90s. Like I was buying all of their stuff. Um, it's certainly I had disposable. It happened to coincide with the fact that with me having disposable income for the first time. Yes, good times. 
So I was like just pouring in. Of course, there was the square tax on their games. Oh. If it had square on it, I bought it. God, I, I've I've said before that Final Fantasy VI cost me one hundred fifteen dollars Canadian. <laughs> wow. And- <laughs> and it's my favorite story because uh, my father bought the game for me at, at Canadian Tire of all the places and he's like the ca- the cashier saw how much it was and she's like wow this must be for a very special person and my dad said nah so from that point on kind of like RPGs just kind of became like I went to the console with the RPGs which was Sony right mm-hmm. so when um, the PS2 came out I got a GameCube first because I was still a Nintendo loyalist Mm-hmm. But some Same. of that was also with the hope that maybe things would turn around and eventually all of the good games would come back, but like, it never really happened. Sort of, yeah. Like you had Crystal Chronicles. Eh? Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember. I I was saving up to get Crystal Chronicles. Never got it though. It has to maybe for the best. Yeah. Yeah. Eh. But <laughs> yeah, I finally got a PS2 in like 2005, and I was like, oh my god, all the games that I was missing was ridiculous. Yeah, I got a PS2 very, very late in the game, too, and I think I only got it because of Mega Man X8, and um, yeah, same thing. Uh, I realized, oh crap, I missed out on a bunch of great RPGs. Oh well. well it was around that time that I moved to Japan, and at, Catch up for time. like three solid years or so, I basically only played Japanese games in Japanese. Um, That's a good way to learn the language, I hear. Yeah, just a little bit. So I was playing in... And I was playing them on like my DS primarily. Like my DS was my primary gaming machine. Mm-hmm. With a smidge of D- uh, PS2, I actually modded my PS2 to oh, nice. get certain games on there. I got Final Fantasy twelve early. Uh huh. Was That's playing nice. it with a English language uh, translation walkthrough. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe not the best idea to play that game in Japanese when you don't know the language super well. Probably not. <laughs> Isn't that, is that didn't you and Parrish get in a fight about that or something about? You didn't appreciate Final Fantasy XII, and well, when I came back to America a few years back later, I picked up final. I picked up an English language version of Final Fantasy XII, and was doing kind of something similar to Parrish's column on the site, where like I was dissecting a game week by week, right, right, on the RPG blog, um, and I was picking a new RPG every month, and Final Fantasy XII was one of them. And I was a little bit harsh on it, actually, because I was like, oh, it kind of falls apart. You know, it's not all that. And Parrish was like, you don't get it. <laughs> Parrish, who was my editor, goes into the comments and goes, you don't get it. You just don't oh. understand why Final Fantasy Twelve is so great. He only lost his temper with me that in that same manner once. And that was when I said I didn't like Kid from Chrono, from Chrono Cross. <laughs> And no, I don't. no, don't even, don't even get um, perish about Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross. Like he will seriously like school you, and he will school you hard. Like he I think will, he wrote one of the first guides for Chrono Cross. He even. did. He there's still like game FAQs for his stuff for Chrono Cross. And don't get me wrong, I, I actually adore Chrono Cross. I don't think it's great as a Chrono Trigger sequel, but as the game on its own, I really, really enjoy it. But I hate Kid. <laughs> I'm sorry. And the dialects uh, are terrible. But I mean, so I got into the games press, right? Um, in like 2008 mm-hmm. and I start, um, and like one of the first gigs that I kind of get is writing for the RPG blog on oneup.com oh, and yes. like, so I'm like, I can do this. Uh, but then <laughs> pretty quickly I discover that there's a lot more to RPGs than JRPGs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there is like an entirely different world out there that I knew basically nothing about. 
Like I didn't know anything about Bioware. I didn't know anything about Bethesda. I did not know anything about the history of RPGs kind of as we knew them. Mm-hmm. So I kind of winged it. <laughs> <laughs> you did an okay job. I mean, I, I wrote about kind of what I knew, but I also kind of made it my business to learn about this other side of RPGs, which I actually find really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish I like kind of had an opportunity to talk a, about a little bit more. Uh, specifically... You know, of course, Bioware was kind of at its peak at that time. Right. Um, circa, you know, 2008, 2009. Uh, Dragon Age was coming out at that time. Um, like, I re- I worked with Scooter, um, and he was acknowledged as kind of the guy for mm-hmm. Western RPGs because at that time, he, because he had worked for CGW back in the day with Jeff Green. And he... Um, he like knew the Bioware guys extremely well. Like he was right. basically on first name basis. Like he could email them anytime. Like so, because he had been covering them from the very, very, very start. So, but so that was kind of my introduction to that side of things at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, like Kotor had come out in two thousand four, two thousand three, two thousand four. But I didn't own an Xbox. Right. Yeah, so I missed out on that one, unfortunately, which is too bad because I think I would have really liked it and I really wanted to play it, but no Xbox, no deal. Nope, no Xbox, no go. So Nadia, why didn't, have you ever like really tried to like make a serious effort to get into Western RPGs just out of curiosity? Um, more or less, like I, I do stumble across ones that I like, like I, I adore Skyrim, of course. Um, uh-huh, yeah. But you know what, like, I think it was really Skyrim that opened me up to RP to Western RPGs a little bit more because um, something about that those their colors like never really appealed to me. Of course, you had a lot of that gray and brown going on, but um, yeah, I know I should be a little more open to them. And, and every so often, I, I play one that I really enjoy. But uh, I do gravitate towards the JRPGs. I, I I will admit that right away. Which ones did uh, which Which ones kind of like grabbed your attention outside of Skyrim? Oh, shoot. I'm just, like, totally blanking, of course. But <laughs> <laughs> not too many. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, now that Nintendo is making, like, Western RPGs in their style, it's like, well, I'm dead. <laughs> you know, I... So, the thing that kind of stands out to me about, like, certain RPGs is, mm-hmm. like, how influenced they are by tabletop gaming they are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And tabletop gaming was never really one of my things. Was, was that yeah. really one of your things? I... <laughs> I did tabletop gaming once for uh, Dungeons and Dragons, and um, I had a, a half elf named Hawkmoon, named after U two song. Um, I enjoyed it, but it's just not my deal. I would sure if someone says, "Hey, let's let's do an RP, let's do a tabletop RPG," I'd say, "Sure, why not?" But it's it's not something I actively seek out, which may be why I was never huge into the Western RPGs. I mean, even Skyrim intimidated me at first, uh, and I just kind of really forced myself to stick to it. Uh, and and I'm glad I did, but I, I I guess I just kind of enjoy the structure of an RP of a JRPG a little bit more. When I first moved here, one of the first things I did actually was join a role playing group. Oh, sweet! Because I had never done that in high school because I I was never cool enough to join the boys to play um, to play a tabletop game. Like I was always left out. So oh, that makes me sad. Yeah, well, but I got to join one when I first moved here. So every you know, every week we would convene at a conference room at, at somebody's like work and we would um, get lots of free booze because it's San Francisco and tech company and <laughs> we would play Shadowrun. And I, I think I said that it was like, 
I was so bad at it. I think I got I think I got everybody killed in the first <laughs> like play because I just decided to go in guns blazing. And that like worked. this carefully constructed beginner um story, like the DM just kinda looked at me and went, Okay. <laughs> Why not? And like yeah, so maybe in hindsight I'm a little embarrassed about that. But it did give me a kind of an insight into kind of the design and the aesthetic of a lot of these games Mm -hmm. um for example when i'm like playing pillars of eternity on obsidian like there's like an aspect of it where like you are uh kind of seeing these stories like these static stories clips or whatever Uh um and you can make decisions and it's almost it almost feels like a dm is talking to you Mm -hmm. like talking you through like a moment and you're having to make like like fast decisions um and being able to roll like perception and that kind of thing uh to be able to advance so like that tabletop D aspect like really infuses kind of classical pc rpgs in a way that they just simply do not with your classical jrpg yeah although there is that uh one jrpg i played for 3ds it was a download only um I, unfortunately, Crimson something or other. It was literally oh, yeah, yeah. a game based with like dice and like the had yeah, that. Yeah, you would roll it. It was the Matsuno yeah. one. Yes, exactly. That was it. And um, it had like the DM sort of voice going on. I really enjoyed that one, but I guess that's technically a JRPG. So, Nadia, mm-hmm. as time has gone on, my taste in RPGs has changed a lot. Well, you seem to be a lot more into the Western stuff now, too, as as well as the JRPGs. Well, I mean, I, I'm into the Western things because it's kind of part of my job, but <laughs> I, I also respect them a lot, right? You know, yes. like, I, I think there are a lot of really amazing Western RPGs out there, like, and I have, uh, I have certainly managed to get my kind of share of enjoyment, especially from uh, Skyrim, um, Witcher 3, like, mm-hmm. like, has really impressed me. I really liked Pillars of Eternity. Um, I like a good round of Diablo, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, But my kind of taste in RPGs has ventured way more towards systems, uh, systems oriented Mm -hmm. than kind of um, story focused, right? Like the story has become a lot more incidental to me over the years. Yeah, see, I, I still love a good story. I still need to have that story backing me up. I don't necessarily have to, but I really love having it there. I think about this a lot. And I'm like, could I, could I properly enjoy an RPG that um, does not have a good story? Mm-hmm. And I think the cat, the answer is actually probably no, mm-hmm. because if the story is really bad, I and I don't like the characters, then it becomes hard to become invested in the Yeah, the, I agree the with that. Um, if I can get a really good story and really good characters and really good systems, then it's like special, right? <laughs> ding ding ding. Yes, exactly. Like Valkyrie profile, right there, like. Great story, great music, great characters, uh, pretty good systems. Like, like that to me was like catnip. Mm-hmm. Catnip. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So, Nadia, like I've done most of the talking, I'll admit. Um, I- I'm kind of curious, like what has your arc been over the past, like, I don't know, like 25 years or whatever of playing RPGs? Like what I started with and what I wound up with? Yeah, like, I mean, how has your kind of appreciation of RPGs kind of evolved over the years? I'm, I'm actually really curious. Uh, it's more like, uh, like, if you took one of those evolution charts where you see, like, the evolution of man, it would probably all be monkeys, because, <laughs> because my tastes have not changed very much over the years. I still, gosh, I, I guess I, 
I still love a good, lush action RPG like Secret of Mana, and I like a good story-heavy JRPG like Final Fantasy VI, and, and all my favorite games that have not entirely been variations on that, but they've definitely been in that, that wheelhouse. And of course, you have the occasional deviant like Stardew Valley. Um, have we mm-hmm. had an argument about whether or not that's an RPG before? Uh, maybe. I mean, it's kind of a simulation RPG thing. <laughs> thing. That that's a ga- that's a series with a very interesting history. Just the whole farming sim thing. We should really tackle that sometime. But um, hmm. yeah, it's just I. It's funny when I when I look back at the RPGs I loved, and sometimes you look back on something, it doesn't hold up. But when I look back at against like Final Fantasy VI, I can e- appreciate it even more as an adult than than as I did as a child. Like um, I've written in the past about the whole. Uh, do you remember the the arc with the the teen pregnancy thing? Mm-hmm. And just how that served as such a great metaphor for like why the world was worth saving, even though it was kind of that the message was a little subtle there in that regard. I was just like more scandalized as a fifteen-year-old when I read <laughs> when I first came across that. But um, yeah, and then there's the whole like uh, just like the thing I like about Final Fantasy VI is it has like adult characters with adult problems and, and I think that's something that JRPG has gradually lost over over the years but um, yeah I've always just been a, a good sucker for a solid story and colorful characters you know I like an RPG where I can create my own character yeah I, I've gotten more into those as the time as time has gone on uh, when I first came across it in Skyrim I was like oh my god what the hell do I even do <laughs> I like any character that I can define kind of my character, um, define them from like a story perspective. I, I think I've I actually said that like an RPG is kind of the game where essentially you can define your character in some way, like the way that they progress mechanically, that they the way that they progress from a story standpoint and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's why I always argued really hotly that like Mass Effect Two should not be discounted just because like it gets rid of a lot of the mechanics, like mm-hmm. the core of the very core of that game is deciding the fate of a shepherd, right? <laughs> a shepherd. Like, like being shepherd, stepping into the shoes of this intergalactic heroes, fighting this like giant menace and mm-hmm. determining what their fate is going to be, even to the point of they could die. Mm-hmm. Like in the final scene, they could actually die. Like to me, like what's more role-playing than that? Yeah, right? pretty much. Although I, I do mean to ask you, uh, Fallout 4, how did you feel about having an actual person as opposed to like just a, a cipher? I mean, I thought it was okay because it felt, it was still me, right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> dressing, being able to dress up my character is actually an important thing for me in a character, in a game. Like <laughs> one of the reasons that, one of the reasons that Breath of the Wild like has really taken me is the fact that uh, all of the armor is visible and like all the stuff that you're like carrying is visible on Link's back and like mm-hmm. that just to me makes it more real as like a wandering hero. Yeah, that is a lot of fun. And the same goes for Fallout 4, right? Like even though this is a character that I'm now looking at who is talking, um, I liked the fact that I could kind of make her look any way I want or mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Um, I preferred her. Uh, mm-hmm. And I could still define kind of my own story, right? Like... um I think that depending on how you define your character, like is how they will talk and that kind of thing. So, (laughs) so you can have a lot of like very strong effects on them. Like, I think I still like a really good JRPG, obviously, like 
uh, Final Fantasy 15, for example. But like yep. in Final Fantasy 15, you're almost like a passive observer, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed yeah. to like, say, Persona 4 Golden, where it's you are taking on the role of the main character who does not talk. Like, yeah, you... and, and that's very interesting because um, you're like everything is is all about the personality that you form and the bonds that you form with your characters, but you never say a word to them. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. But everybody's like, man, so like charismatic and great and we love him. You know why? <laughs> it's because he doesn't say anything. Yes. It's because he can be like, just he's the perfect listener. Like mm-hmm. everybody thinks that he's saying lots to them, but he's really not. That's why he's so popular. <laughs> <laughs> he only speaks when it's very important and you don't really hear what he has to say. No, exactly. Like, very quiet. Uh, the main character in Persona 5 is a little more chatty. But... Oh, is he? I was wondering about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the thing that I've always really enjoyed about in RPGs is, like, like RPGs in particular feel like they have really rich lineages. Mm-hmm. Like, you have your, your you know, your um, Final Fantasies or Dragon your Dragon Quest. Quests. Yeah. Or Fallout. Um, your, your Elder Scrolls games. Mm-hmm. Um these games that go way back, um, Ultima, yeah, of uh, course. The Ultimate series, Ultima series, like goes back many games and like helped kick off uh, the MMO genre and all that stuff. Um, and it's a lot of it's been a lot of fun to discover those like lineages, right? Mm-hmm. I agree. Especially Shimagami Tensei, which when I when I first started writing about games, like I knew basically nothing about SMT. Yeah. Yeah, and that's been around for a very, very long time. Yeah, it's been around going back to the NES days. Yes. Um, But because, you know, it it didn't really come out here, it was not really popular here. Like, I didn't really become aware of it. No, no, I became aware of it through Persona Persona 3. And I think think more than a few people also became aware of it. And that was circa 2007, 2008. Yeah, so it's really interesting to see, like, Persona 5. Like, I was in a game, uh, not a GameStop, EB Games here. But I was in EB Games the other day, and they were, like, kind of featuring Persona 5 front and center. So that sort of thing's Mm -hmm. really nice to see now. Uh, Dragon Quest 5 was my first Dragon Quest. That's a good one to start with. It is a good first. Like, I, when I... When I joined the games press, I undertook an intensive program to learn about <laughs> RPGs, basically, because I discovered that as for as much as I thought I knew about RPGs, I knew nothing, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. it is such a broad and massive and am- amazing and historically relevant genre. Like, I, I think it is the greatest genre um, in games. Like, everybody has their own favorite thing, but, I mean... Just if you left me alone for the rest of my life, like RPG, you said if you can only play one genre for the rest of your life, it would be RPGs, obviously. Like, yeah. Oh, absolutely. RPGs are the games that I just gravitate toward. And if I weren't in the press, like, I would just pick one at a time <laughs> and just play it until conclusion, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't same know. here. No, I agree. Lock me in a room, give me GRPGs for the rest of my life. Uh, <laughs> try to give me food once in a while, but otherwise, I'm fine. All right, on that note, um, let's get Katie on here and maybe read some uh, fan feedback because I asked for letters and we got them. So why don't we do that? All right, we're back, and with us now is Katie McCarthy, um, who will also be sharing some of her thoughts on why she likes RPGs, and then we are going to hear from you um, 
about why you love RPGs, and we have a variety of answers. Um, not surprising because RPGs encompass so many things. But Katie, you're a recent addition to US Gamer, but you have kind of shown time and again that you really like RPGs and especially maybe Japanese developed RPGs. Like, how did you get into the genre and what is it about the genre that like really grabs you? Um, I my first experience with RPGs was watching my mom play them while I was growing up. She had me really young, so she, she was kind of like, she was into video games when I was younger. She's not into them now. She's kind of like, she grew out of Aww. it. But, Damn. like, my my first experience with, like, RPGs is watching my mom play, like, Final Fantasy 7 and 8 and 9, and then when I got to the age, I played those on my own. And so, like, I, I kind of had, like, a secondhand experience, like, as my first exper- real experience with RPGs. And the first one I really fell in love with was Kingdom Hearts, which is, like, super cliche. I feel like <laughs> like every kid goes to, like, a Kingdom Hearts phase. And even now, like, I don't think, I don't always think, I think fondly of my memories of that game because I played so much of it. But, like, I revisited it and I was like, ah, oh, it's not as good as I remember it was. Uh, it um, happens. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, like, I guess, I, like, what... I've always loved about RPGs and like JRPGs in particular is I feel like they consume so much time that you really get close with them. Like they, like not just the characters, but like the world and like even the moment to moment action of it. Like you really become like involved in like an RPG's world for like a long period of time, like 60 to 100 hours or even more. Mm-hmm. And I feel like whenever I wrap up like a really good and a really long RPG, I kind of feel like this part of me is like left, like I'm kind of like done with that life and I need to kind of move on. And they just, they feel more personal. I don't like, I think maybe it's because of the length and maybe it's because some have really great stories or some have really great characters and they all kind of like, depending on the game, they have something, if a good RPG would have something that draws me to it. So I'd, I'd say that's what makes me love RPGs is just, feeling like a personal connection to them because they take up so much of my time. I have to say it's really cute that you got into it because of your mom, because my mother had me very young too, but her pastime was fistfights with the neighbors. So (laughs) (laughs) there there was a little bit of gaming, but yeah, she grew out of games as well. And and that's always a little bit sad, even though she was never into like the RPGs, but she used to watch me play them a lot when I was a kid. My parents were into video games as well. Um, They did not have me young, but... Apparently, they got me an NES because they secretly wanted to play the NES themselves. <laughs> That's how I got my Game Boy. Yeah, exactly. So, Tetris. But yeah, Katie, so no, I, I think what you were saying earlier, like you put it really eloquently, um, talking about how kind of like leaving a piece of your yourself in that world, because RPGs, not only are they long and have this really involved world, but they kind of demand, right, that mm-hmm. you become super invested in it. They kind of demand that you put yourself into a character or a party or like the decisions that you're making, right? Um, And it could take many different forms. It can take the form of whichever character you end up dating in like Persona 4, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's like, who do you pick? Do you pick Chie or do you pick, you know, um, in the case of Nadia, I think it was Marie and you like Rise, uh, Katie, or... um, like what kind of character class do you like to play or like what at a critical juncture did you decide to kill this person or that person Mm -hmm. um 
like there's so many decisions that are being made and it, it, so it ends up taking on a really personal dimension which just naturally heightens your investment in the world and i i think that is a a really jo- enjoyable aspect of a lot of rpgs not all of them but a lot of them yeah, and it's actually why sometimes I get jealous when I hear, you know, so-and-so is getting to play through, like, one of my favorites for the first time, because mm. that's an experience you can never have again. Yeah, no, exactly. exactly. I mean, it's like reading a book for the first time. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, so, really quickly, let's read um, some comments from people. Um, so, this is from Cam Chow. He says, I think the primary draw of RPGs to me is a sense of adventure that became hard to get with some other games, whether it's riding around horseback in a modern-day open-world RPG or flying an airship, starting out with almost nothing and gearing up, conquering all sorts of monsters on some grand journey. I never get tired of that. I can even deal with an uninteresting world or simple, bland gameplay, as long as I get a huge world to walk around and explore. Nothing beats the feeling of walking through a large, unexplored area of an RPG, running into new monsters and just hoping all your training, new skills, and best equipment is enough to survive whatever the game will throw your way. This is the kind of experience modern RPGs are good at providing, but great RPGs have been giving us for ages, like Zelda 2. The feeling of adventure exploring the huge overworld, using your skills and experience to survive walking from one end of the world to another. Ah, now that's an adventure. (laughs) I know that feeling. I'm getting it in Breath of the Wild right now. Yeah, I was about to say, Breath of the Wild kind of describes that to a T, because, God, I've been in the the game world for well over 100 hours now, and I'm still finding places, like, I just found, like, this lost temple, for example, at the bottom of a trench, so it's just full of stuff like that, just these surprises around every corner. Yeah, I finally beat Breath of the Wild recently. Uh, or like beat as in like I, I fought Ganon and stuff, and I'm like, I, I thought, because I've seen all the memories, i like began i spent like i think 80 hours at this point and i thought for sure i'm done but i got the itch to play it the other night so i feel like i'm gonna keep <laughs> going back to it for a while which i didn't expect to do katie's a machine jeez yeah. wow <laughs> well because i was kind of putting like the like odd like few hours in while i was playing all those other games for review and then i just kind of didn't really have anything else to play for a bit so i really like just dedicate a lot of time to it and, nice yeah yeah, like, I've only beat one Divine Beast. <laughs> Mostly because, like, I'll just do things like, what the heck is Beyond the Mountains? Yeah, And then exactly. I'll just, like, spend a long time walking through the snow and the mountains looking to see if I can find literally anything. And then you'll find, like, one thing and you'll go, ah, this is the reason that I just spent, like, two hours wandering around finding some random monsters and, like, climbing mountains and stuff. Yes. But it makes you feel like you are, like, truly on an adventure, right? Yeah, like, it's, it's pretty great for that. It, for that feeling of just being on the, in this rambling world. Just one of my favorite things is just take a horse and, and go in any direction and see what I can see. Mm-hmm. But let's see. Platypus Platoon, really short one. You can sing in a grand opera and then immediately afterwards go suplex a giant purple octopus right into its ugly face. <laughs> I mean, that's all <laughs> I have he, ever wanted to do as a 12-year-old kid. And he can suplex a train before that. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so true. Katie, you played Final Fantasy VI, right? I have not. So this is, oh I know God. it's the one that everyone says the best, and I've just never <laughs> played it. Maybe I should do it this summer, honestly. Yeah, that's your Final project Fantasy VI report incoming. <laughs> oh, I'd love I, that. I, I really want. I've always wanted to. I've just. I don't even think I own it on any device so it's like i just i haven't had an you can consult my handy guide that i just wrote to find out i know which I, ro- is the best. I need to i like looked at it and i was like i should 
consult this too <laughs> for like all the Final Fantasy games I have not played yet. Like I played five, but I haven't played six. Like that's crazy. That is a little crazy. You've never pl- you never owned a Super Nintendo, is that right? No, I oh, never do had. It. Yeah, I never had Nintendo systems growing up aside from like a Game Boy. So that's like that's how I played five. Was I think the Game Boy Advance version? Right, um, right. Yeah. That was a good. Well, I suppose the. I suppose, like, when you're getting into gaming, like, Nintendo is kind of, like, past its, like, its super glory period, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, I was a PlayStation kid, like, fully, so. You youngsters. Yeah, Yeah, I'm really young. I'm a baby. Kids these days. Um, I'd be really interested to hear what you have to say about that, Katie, because I think you'll end up liking it. Or you won't, and everybody will hate you. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows what the future holds. All right, nice guy Neon. Uh, he also says that it's the sense of adventure. Um, nothing better than going on a trip, whether I go on to hang out on a mission, go with family to explore Yosemite, or travel overseas with friends. I totally agree. Actually, I love traveling. I feel most happy when traveling and seeing new sites. But travel is expensive, and games are an easy way to dive into a land and discover new places, often with some friendly faces. Other genres tend not to match the sense of adventure and wanderlust pushed by RPGs, and that's what brings me in the most, whether it's Hyrule, Lord Ron, Inaba, or whatever else it may be. I enjoy the feeling of adventure most. Um, Astro Demon says, I think I originally liked RPGs as a kid because I was drawn to anything that had more depth than running, jumping, and shooting things. <laughs> I can relate I can, to that. And I can totally roll with that. Uh, the first RPG I played was probably Miracle Warriors for the Master System, and I liked some of the lighter games like Golvelius, and when friends brought over Zelda and Metroid, I was immediately hooked on them as well. When a friend of mine got the Bard's Tale for his Apple IIGS, as well as nice. my magic, I forever became a PC RPG nerd. It was just amazing to me to see the amount of interactivity with an entire party of characters that you could create, and all of them could carry weapons, items, spells, and different effects on the game. The worlds were huge, and I could get lost in those worlds for countless hours. Plus, on the Apple II, the graphics and sound were better than anything I had played before on a console. I still love console and PC RPGs, but there's a lot less separation between them these days. When a game like Torment Tides of Numenera came out on, comes out, can come out on consoles, life is good. Yeah, I agree with that. I have no, I do not weep for the closing barrier between uh, consoles and PCs. No, absolutely not, actually. Like, um, I was talking about, like, how different the cultures used to be. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I like that even if you are a hardcore console person, that you can get a lot of these games. Hell, you can play Final Fantasy fourteen on console with somebody <laughs> on the PC. It's truly, like, a wonderful period. Yeah, I downloaded it for the PlayStation 4. Katie, are you more of a story person in RPGs, or are you more of a systems person? Story. I think it depends on the game, honestly. Because I feel like Uh I'm kind of open to both. Like, I like Final Fantasy V, but that's, like, not... That has, like, a terrible story. (laughs) That's true. Really really boring characters, but that has, like, a really good combat system. So I think it just depends... Yeah, I think it just depends on the game. I feel like probably more naturally I gravitate towards story and characters or like even just like world. Like I really love Nino Kuni and that's one of my favorite games of the past probably decade. And wow. Like this <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. No, no. I, it's, uh, I didn't mean to sound I didn't mean that to be like condescending. It was just like wow. I really I remember love that game. Bob like, uh, Mackey for one up like gave it a bad score and man, he eviscerated it. Yeah, he 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 just like heard 
I mean, I actually know someone who was glad One Up went under because of that review. Oh my god. It was that's, Katie. That's really mean. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, he's kind of a mean person, but yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I totally understand why that game didn't resonate with a lot of people. It's It goes too much in the kind of like the trying to be Pokemon thing, but doesn't fully commit to that. And I think that kind of harms the combat a bit. But, but why I did think, it resonate with you? I th- The world is like really beautiful. And I think that's because of the Studio Ghibli like art direction. Mm. Um, and the music's really amazing because it's Joe Hosaishi who's composed like almost all the Studio Ghibli movies and everything. And it just it I don't know, like the characters are real like Oliver is like super sweet and like his whole story about connect trying to like reconnect with like his or revive his old mo- or his mom or whatever. Like that whole that's that game's just like really magical in a way that i feel like most most jrpgs are about like okay we're gonna go save the world and that story just feels more personal and it it like Mm -hmm. in a way that feels earnest and genuine and not in like a just like oh we're just doing a different thing type of way um yeah and that game's just really beautiful i think that's another part of it too is like especially once you get a dragon and you could just fly around the world on a dragon it it opens up in this way that is really incredible and all the towns are super distinct you know and it kind of reminded me of like the old jrpgs i like grew up playing and watching my mom play is they all like all the towns and all the areas feel so unique and they all have their own like music and i feel like that's something that's kind of lost in a lot of the rpgs i've played in recent years is they just don't feel as like diverse and like unique and like an adventure i'm not saying that modern rpgs are bad i mean there are definitely good ones but that that like nino kuni like captured that magic for me again mm-hmm. everybody was really happy that it had an overworld and admittedly yeah. that is something that is missing i miss yeah. having an overworld i like having an overworld it makes things feel bigger yeah mm-hmm. exactly i agree like just like selecting a town on a map not the same. Like yeah. I, I like the feeling that I am traveling across this vast world. Um, but yeah, you know, Katie, a lot of people listening to this podcast are very happy with you right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know that Nino Kuni certainly has. Um, there is a, a group of people who are definitely big Nino Kuni fans. And it can be a little divisive. But I feel like the the people who love that game tend to be a lot louder than the ones who don't. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I definitely see the criticisms are there, and it's not a perfect game by any means. Like I definitely think, like with most RPGs, it falls in that trap of like having a lot of padding in its last like ten or so hours. But I still really love it. You know, and you should have stopped yeah. when you were ahead, Katie. Like you should have just said, "Nope, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it has no flaws." Like I think they would have gone over well. RPG of the century, <laughs> ten out of ten. All right, uh, S. S. Valletta says, I love the strategic planning that an RPG demands from the player to be successful. Oh, you are a person. That's, that, that's the letter for cat. <laughs> but it's cat not letter. just the strategic depth that attracts me to the genre. If, it o- if I only desired a strategic challenge, I would play a Civ game. I love the personal relationship I have with my character or party of characters. My first RPG was Dragon Warrior, and I do not recall it being deeply strategic, but the need to level my character to go further in the game was more than enough spark. Something in me that demanded more from a game than button mashing. Plus, seeing my friend fly easily through Ghosts and Goblins on NES made me realize I may not be able to get good enough. 
yeah, yeah, I, I can kind of understand that. Yeah, but I mean, that's why I like Pokemon. Like, I, why I liked Pokemon back in the day was because yeah, there was a strategic challenge, but also I had a personal relationship with the monsters, right? Mm-hmm. Like with these little bits of data, they meant something <laughs> to me that were meant that were named Butt. <laughs> I no, I didn't name my Pokemon Butt. No, I would never do that because I love my Pokemon, Aww. and they get nice names. There was actually, uh, when I first played Dragon Warrior, I named my character Barf. And my mom's like, okay, if you're going to name your character after something like dirty, you got to go all the way. <laughs> so she was mad I didn't name my character at the F word, basically. So you said you had a Game Boy, Katie. I assume that's because of Pokemon? Not, I think, I don't even remember how I got it. Because I know my mom didn't buy me one. I think it was just like a hand, like it was just like a gift I got. But I, I honestly wasn't as big of a Pokemon kid as most other wow. kids. Like, like I, I had like trading cards and everything because that was just a thing you did. But mm-hmm. I never, it didn't like click with me. Like I, I played Pokemon, but it never like clicked with me in the same way it clicked with like all my friends growing up. Like it yeah. was just kind of something I just played to be up on the, <laughs> the times. And I've only played like Ruby and uh, I think it was, I think I played Blue. I don't How know. old were you when Pokemon became like hit the Western market? <sighs> became a phenomenon. I feel like I was late nineties, right? So I mm-hmm. must have been, been like seven or eight. Yeah, I was. Like oh my eight. god! Yeah, I was. A bit, I'm. I'm really young. I'm twenty four. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna say, babies, now. all of you. <laughs> She's not young. We're old. Oh, I'm but really young. Enough about that. Yeah, no. Like I always find it really interesting um, the perspective of people who grew up with Pokemon because. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, Me too. Pokemon came out when I was a teenager, so like I am just naturally going to have a different perspective on it. But I was m- maybe not its target audience necess- necessarily. Yeah, I was finishing high school, so everyone was like, "What the hell are you doing? Why are you playing this?" <laughs> somebody, somebody Katie's age would have been like much more its target yeah. audience. I think you would have yeah. been like in the in the midst of it all. That's my, interesting. My boyfriend, he has sunk so like he was like an obsessed pokemon kid growing up and he's Aww. he's 26 i think now and he he's literally dunked like hundreds of hours and i i almost feel like he hit the age because he was kind of more of like a big kid i guess so it's like he knew what he was doing in pokemon whereas like when i was coming around to it i was just like wandering around the same like grass area or whatever you know like kids do where they don't really progress but they just keep playing anyways you're just like sure. pikachu is cute i want a pikachu yeah, exactly. Uh, but like, mm. as I got older, like I played Ruby and I finished that, and then I played the recent one. Whatever was that Moon? Yeah, I played Sun Moon. Moon. <laughs> yeah, so it's like it's been a while since I've really been in Pokemon. So uh, Lettep says I play RPGs because of the level immersion they can provide. You can spend dozens of hours exploring a world, being told a story, learning the game's systems, all the while being emotionally invested in the characters, setting, and time you've devoted to playing. There's an attachment there that doesn't always occur with other types of games, as Katie was saying. Actually, mm-hmm. I have played more RPGs in the last decade because of how many of them are portable now. The DS yes. and 3DS and Vita have amazing RPG libraries, and it's so great to be able to chip away at them at your leisure. Not just sitting in front of a TV for 100 hours or anymore, which nowadays can be hard. So I suppose this post is both an explanation for why I love RPGs and why I particularly love portable RPGs. Uh, I don't disagree with you. Like, yeah, it's been relate. weird playing mm-hmm. Persona 5 on my, my TV because like ordinarily that is a game that I'm just used to playing on my Vita. You know? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's the one thing I'm not looking forward to when starting Persona 5 is uh, 
uh, I have to sit there in front of my TV, and um, I'm just so used to playing Persona on it on a portable now. It's going to be weird. Yeah, I tried remote play while I was reviewing it, just because I I'm in the same boat where it's kind of like I never finished Golden, but like I I finished Persona Four on PS2, but I I really wanted that. I realized, like, oh, I kind of would prefer this to be a portable experience, but then my Wi-Fi is so bad. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it was just not, no. it was just not no. working out for me. Like, all no. of my stuff's connected through Ethernet because my Wi-Fi is just impossible in this apartment. Yeah, mine too, because we have concrete walls, so I actually tried to play, like, Stardew Valley through uh, uh, remote play, and it was total garbo. Yeah. I wish. Who knows, maybe there'll be a Switch version in, like, three years. <laughs> my it. Wi-Fi is excellent, but the input delay is still just enough. Mm-hmm. And also, it's it drove me crazy that the Vita did not have the extra set of shoulder buttons, which ruins yeah. so many games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not the problem with Persona 4, um, or sorry, Persona 5, but I, I guess, like, in my mind, the Vita remote play is already tainted because of that. Yeah, exactly. I have no desire to try it again after my Stardew Valley disaster. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I've I've had okay progress. Like, if I'm in the same room as my PlayStation 4, but then it just kind of defeats the purpose. Because, like, yeah, I could just come be playing on. on my TV. Like, why would I? That's the only time it works. Uh, Siggy Zetar is more practical in his appreciation for RPGs. He says, I have to save for the bank for my buck, even, <laughs> I, even if I should spend my time more wisely. Anyway, JRPGs were always the games I looked forward to on any console I had because I could never finish a Mario's Metroid or Zelda. Give me a Final Fantasy or a Persona or SMT or Dragon Quest, I'll be playing for months. It's always been this way since I was a kid, as I was not only what well, as I was not allowed to buy video games as I liked, often waiting for birthdays to get anything like Pokemon. While I am not a steadfast gamer, often being distracted by many things, including Star Trek or The Simpsons, whatever I was playing always waited for me to come back. No increase in skill needed. They'll always be there for me, like Seymour. I don't know who Seymour is, but um, I maybe Seymour Skinner. Uh, but no, I mean, they're not wrong. Like, I remember I got DuckTales um, for my birthday, which is like topical because the Disney Ooh. like classic or the Disney afternoon collection is coming out soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I finished, I literally finished DuckTales in, in like a weekend. Like, yeah. I, I, like I beat it like I played through it many more times after that. Like, I certainly enjoyed it. But, you know, I finished it so fast. Like, to me at that time, it was really easy, which is weird to think Mm -hmm. now because I actually feel like it's pretty hard now. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I guess I was at a different level of gaming at that time. But um, it would have been nice to have, like, RPGs that I could play for, you know, hours upon hours upon hours and, like, just really get into, you know? Yeah. Uh, Lord Bob Bree, a big reason I've always liked RPGs is their focus on story. That's ones for Nadia. Yay. Before anything but text and point and click games were really doing it, RPGs gave me big, more or less interesting stories to play through. I got to meet so many characters and experience so many events through them. Their worlds were so much bigger than what other games had, too. Nowadays, that's not really unique to RPGs, but they still tend to be more focused on expansive worlds and storytelling. Sometimes they're a detriment, but there's also getting a chance to play around with building up teams and characters from deciding how to divvy up my gene uh my gin in golden sun to finding ways to take advantage of all the abilities and equipment choices characters had in final fantasy tactics they've given me a lot of character chances to try things out make characters my own 
and breeding and training up monster teams. Those are always fun. Even oh, helping yeah. my me enjoy otherwise lackluster games. Hopefully we get another Dragon Quest Monsters. So, Yeah, I uh, enjoyed uh, Dragon Quest Monsters. Uh, I think it was Joker 2. Uh, I haven't played Golden Sun, so when he said Jin, I'm like, are they drinking? Aren't they a bunch of kids? <laughs> so I think for me, like reading that made me realize, or just made me, I think what it really comes down to for me now is there are a lot of games that borrow RPG elements. Absolutely. That kind mm-hmm. of fashion themselves as RPGs. Uh, I think Destiny is one. Um, Horizon Zero Dawn is another. Uh, lots of open world games yes. now like kind of fashion themselves to these pseudo RPG-like experiences, but they feel so watered down that like it, the depth is only superficial, right? Yeah. And as a consequence, I get kind of bored with them because like the games almost play themselves. They're not, mm-hmm. they're, they're there to make you feel good, right? Um, whereas like a good meaty RPG just really requires me to dig down deep, right? And find what the game makes the game tick. And I think that for me is the difference between a true RPG, like the kind of RPG that I would want to play versus kind of the more watered down action experience that has become kind of typical especially of open world games yeah i agree i I agree too i think a lot of like modern like triple a games and stuff they kind of borrow rpg elements like i i I feel like almost everything has like a hint of rpg in it but Mm -hmm. a smidge yeah just like a little like little peppering in but they kind of don't have that sense of progression that you get from, like, a really good meaty RPG. So, like, in Destiny, you kind of have it with loot, I guess. But mm-hmm. it's more MMO shootery, and it doesn't feel as, like, RPG-esque, I guess, in a way. But it's still technically an RPG. I'd argue that Destiny's more an RPG than, like, Horizon Zero Dawn was. Horizon Zero Dawn's more, like, an action-adventure game. Kind of like old, yeah. like, 3D Zeldas. I mean, this is getting, like, pedantic about, like, what's an RPG, what's yeah, not an RPG. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like everything can be an RPG if it has something. In a way, everything nowadays is an RPG if you boil it down. But but I think what it kind of comes down to is once upon a time, like, these kinds of, like, AAA, like, ex- graphical AAA extravagandas, like, probably hit me a lot more because they were fresh and new and interesting. Like, mm-hmm. I was, like, following them as they kind of came along. And I was like, holy crap, like, look at this thing. Like, when I played Metal Gear Solid for the first time, I like, mm-hmm. it was mind-blowing mm-hmm. to me. Like, it was like a movie, right? I couldn't believe how good it looked on the PlayStation at that time. Um, and, like, a game like God of War, right? Or mm-hmm. um, Resident Evil 4, even, like... As games, like, grew up and, like, better and better experiences were kind of happening and, like, we were jumping up each, like, rung, like, these experiences resonated with me. I even really liked Call of Duty 4. I mean, because, like, it felt so, (laughs) to borrow cliche, cinematic. But I feel like kind of the, the, the excitement or the novelty of those games, at least for me, have worn off. And maybe that's because I've been playing games for a long time. I'm not sure, but um, they're not. It it doesn't really matter to me anymore if it's like really pretty or if it's like 
like this really nice triple a thing like i i guess like the lack of novelty in that regard like results in me getting bored more a little more easily with mm-hmm. uh, certain games so whereas when i go to an rpg like it's not like kind of superficial gloss like i can kind of be guaranteed that i'm going to have something to dig into at least right Right. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat about not really caring about like graphical fidelity or anything. Like I I'm more in the camp of I want something that has some sort of vision that doesn't feel like boring in a way. Mm-hmm. Like like Persona 5 obviously has so much style that it's like it feel like even if it's not it's basically like a PS3 port on a PS4. But because it has a extra layer of just like this like focus of vision and it's, like, graphic design and everything. It, fe- it, like, puts it, like, a leg up above most RPGs. And, like, same with, like, Nino Kuni's world is the, like, world design feels so, like, open and imaginative and, like, mm-hmm. magical in a way that it's kind of, like, so, like I think that's, like, because I played Tales of the Abyss, like, a f- couple years ago. And while I, I was into that game's story, I felt like the world design and, like, all the cities in that game just all feel the same. And it it just feels like, I don't want to say it feels uninspired, because, like, that world obviously has its, like, quirks and everything. But I I don't know. Like, I don't really mind when a game, like, quote-unquote, like, looks ugly or isn't as, like, graphically amazing as, like, another game. Mm -hmm. Like, as long as it feels like it has its own world and, like, feel singular in that way then i'll probably be into it yeah i'm totally with you katie like i totally have a a weakness for games that are like really stylish or same here like not so much the the graphical realism because i think a game Mm -hmm. can be extremely realistic looking but also be extremely boring (laughs) in its own way (laughs) yes where it's just like the muted color palettes the like the really kind of standard looking costumes um the the characters who all kind of look the same mm-hmm. like yeah like i mean it doesn't stand out like when a game like really goes all out on the style of the ui or something mm-hmm. or the music like like even i can kind of forgive a lot if a game really mm-hmm. nails those aspects of those things and just like really gets me into it especially if it has a great soundtrack <laughs> i'm so shallow at times it's not even funny like <laughs> I can. The reason you. I'm playing Super Robot Wars still over what it all comes down to is I like the I like the animations. I like <laughs> the animations of the robots. That's all. I can just watch them all day long. My God, but yeah, no. But I I I really appreciate a certain degree of added stylishness, and I think you get that mm-hmm. m- maybe more in certain JRPGs in particular than you yeah do definitely in a lot more traditional AAA, but. So yeah, this has been the 100th episode of Acts of Blood God, which of course is a U.S. gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever RPGs are sold. I strongly encourage you, if you're really enjoying this uh, RPG podcast, to spread the gospel of the Blood God by leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever. Tell uh, tell your friends on uh, social media and that sort of thing. You can find me at the underscore catbot. You can find Nadia at Nadia Oxford. And you can find Katie at you may Katie, Y-U-M-E-C-A-T-Y. And of course, you know, keep an eye on the site. Um, we always have a lot of really interesting stuff going up. 
um, we had this really emotional story from a contributor, John Learned, who has been on this podcast um, mm-hmm. about his intertwining battle with dark souls and cancer. Which, yes. Um, mm-hmm. Phenomenal read. And I strongly encourage you to check that out. Jeremy Parrish is, of course, starting his breakdown, deep dive dissection of Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. And Katie, you've got a little project going up uh, like pretty soon, aren't right? Yeah, I'm doing a diary series uh, from Stardew Valley, which I haven't played yet. So I'm, I've been diving in a bit. And I'm hoping this will be like a weekly thing. And it's going to be called Field Notes. So I'm very excited. Yes, I'm really exciting. Yes, this is going to be a lot of fun. But in any case, uh, yeah, so we'll be back next week as always. I I think we're going to be talking about Cosmic Star Heroine pretty soon because Nadia has been playing that one. and We can always get uh, Robert Boyd on the show. I think he was maybe on the second episode of this RPG podcast. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, he's been working on Cosmic Star Heroine for quite a while now. Come on back home. We're looping back around back to the beginning, everybody. We're starting all over. (laughs) New Game Plus. (laughs) Oh my god, Axel Blood got a New Game Plus. All I want for Christmas is somebody to actually make an RPG called Axe of the Blood God. And then uh, I want to play it. And I want to be in it. I want to be in a video game. I thought someone pointed out once uh, an Axe of the Blood God uh, reference in in some game, but I uh, shoot, I can't remember. It sure what seemed it was. like there was one in Final Fantasy fifteen. Yeah, I'm that was it. Sure, there might have been uh, like a pretty explicit reference to Axe of the Blood God there, which would not be surprising because Tabata is a big U.S. gamer fan ever since. Um, we basically like Jeremy Parrish did that interview with him a while back uh, that resulted in Type Zero HD basically getting greenlit. Oh, that's right. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, that'd be really cool. Um, number one, if you're responsible for it, confirm it. Number one. Number two, uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just goes to show that if you ask for something enough, like, eventually people will take notice and they will actually make that happen, which is why we're theoretically getting a Final Fantasy VII HD remake someday. Yeah, because just a few people have asked for that. You know, not like a whole bunch, but just a few. <laughs> All right. Um, so that's it for us. But this has been Axe of Blood God. And for Katie, Nadia, and myself, thanks for listening. We'll see you again in another week. And thanks for listening to us over the course of 100 episodes. Here's to another couple hundred more. Yay. Ha- Woo. Happy adventuring. <laughs>